0: Uh, privileged to be a part of the conference again this year. Uh, certainly disappointed to be, uh, here and not with you in person. Um, but after hearing all of the announcements from Andrew about, uh, geese and gophers and tornadoes and all the rest, I'm thinking maybe I'm better off here than, uh, than there. No, it's, uh, anyways, a joy to be with you and, um, it, it virtually and uh, confident that the Lord will be able to overcome the limitations of this form of communication and use our time for his glory and and our blessing. And uh, also a joy to, to share the general sessions with our brother Bob, and uh, I know the Lord will work very well to knit our messages together. So the theme that we are looking at in these general sessions is living for God and considering the the life of David in the evening sessions and the life of Peter, I believe, in the morning sessions. And the reality is there's no lack of material in in either case. Uh, There's more written about David in Scripture than any other man except for the Lord Jesus himself. There's 36 references in the gospels. There's 10 in the book of Acts. There's 61 chapters devoted to his life. There's over 1,000 references to his name in the, in the scriptures. So, uh, he's a, a significant, that's understated, significant historical figure. Um, certainly if you go to Jerusalem today or any part of Israel, you'll see his name referenced in many places at many different, um, different features of the country. Um, you'll see reference to David, the city of David, the root of David, uh, the son of David, the seat of David, the throne of David, and so on and so on. So there's a number of ways that we could tackle, um, this topic of the life of David. Certainly we could Think in terms of, of David as a type of the Lord Jesus pointing towards Christ. And there's no question that there's much to be learned and much to be enjoyed, um, as we think of uh, David as a type of the Lord Jesus. And, um, again, we could, we could certainly benefit from a study like that, uh, but we're going to think more in terms of devotionally. Um, We're going to be just looking at his life from a practical application standpoint. There's uh, valuable lessons to be learned from the study of his life. And so I know that you're not here this weekend just to fill your head with information about a man from history um, or warming our hearts even uh, typically, but But that, um, that we would walk away with lessons that can impact, you know, how we walk, how we, how we live. And, and the amazing discovery as we examine David's life is that David wasn't perfect, but we discover that the grace of God is so vividly displayed in the, the life and the failures of David. He's a, he's a wonderful. And this is an interesting thing about David. He's a wonderful type of Christ, but he's not always a good example for us to follow. And so, and so it's, that creates a bit of a conflict in our minds sometimes as we think of this man after God's own heart, but yet we see uh, moments in David's life that we wouldn't want our children to follow his example. And so, um, so it's important that we see those realities as well um, as we go through the life of David. Turn with with me just to Acts chapter 13, where we find a a nice little summary, a little history lesson. This comes out of Paul's ministry as he's speaking at the synagogue in Antioch, and in Acts 13 and verse 16 Paul stood up and, motioning with his hand, said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt, and with an uplifted arm he brought them out of it. Now for a time of about forty years he put up with their ways in the wilderness, And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. Afterwards, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, He raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a savior, Jesus. We'll just pause there in Paul's sermon we see that summary of of the early years of Israel's history and we see this reference to the Saul, uh, Saul the king of Israel who forfeited his right his privilege to function as king of Israel because of his disobedience and God would say to Samuel I have provided myself a king and the instruction is given and and I invite you to turn Uh, to this passage in 1 Samuel. The instruction is given to go to Jesse's home and and to anoint the future king of Israel. And you remember the account well. This is in 1 Samuel 16. And I'll just again read with very little comment what took place. It says in verse 5, this is 1 Samuel 16 and verse 5. And he said, peaceably, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And so it was when they came that he looked at, this is Samuel's, that he looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good-looking, and the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward, and so Samuel arose and went to Ramah. And so it's a good reminder right out of the gate, isn't it, that in living a life for God and what qualifies us to serve him, uh, it's our hearts that he's interested in. That's what he's looking for. That's what God is interested in, the, the condition of our hearts. And so as we think in, in terms of, of being vessels of honor, as Paul says to Timothy in Second Timothy, he's really addressing the condition of our hearts. And so as we think of the life of David, I thought what we would do this weekend, rather than uh, taking a broad biographical sketch of his life and trying to cover everything in all 1100 verses uh, in, this, in the scriptures, I thought what we would do is drop in at three different time markers in David's life and to see where his heart is. And so tonight we want to go to the, and visit the battlefield. Uh, with him and and tomorrow we'll visit him in the wilderness and lord willing um, on sunday night we'll visit him on the throne and in so doing we'll we'll consider his faith as we see it tonight his fears tomorrow and his future as it's related to the throne and so there's multiple lessons many lessons to be learned um, as we go to visit David on the battlefield, even as he went to visit his his brothers. So we're just uh, one chapter away, first Samuel seventeen. And uh, we'll read just a few verses here uh, to set the context. First Samuel seventeen and verse one Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephes, Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other with a valley between them. For sake of time we'll skip over the description of the of of the Philistine giant uh, I think we know that fairly well but I just want to jump down to verse 8 speaking of Goliath it says then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them why have you come out to line up for battle am i not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. Why is this passage so significant and why is this event so significant in the life of God's anointed servant, young David, the shepherd boy? One of the real reasons I think that this is so significant is is that this is an occasion for David's faith, his confidence in God, to be put to the test? Here he was, a relatively young shepherd boy. Um, some estimates would place him somewhere in the the uh, range of fifteen to sixteen years of age. Um, the twenty year olds, young men and older, would have been out in battle already. Uh, he was eighth in line. Um, if we do the math, knowing that three of the oldest were over twenty and out in in the battlefield, um, that means that there were five at home yet, and David was the youngest, so um, you can start doing the math and he he must not have been much more than fifteen years of age and it's It's important to notice that that all of these men of Israel that were part of the the armies of Israel No doubt that every one of them would have confessed their belief in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel. There's no question that, that these were men who believed in God, but the question is, did they believe God for the victory? They believed in God, but would they believe in, uh, believe God for the victory? And we see, uh, as it was described there in verse 11 when they heard the the words of of the Philistine giant they fled and ran away well here we see David coming on the scene and and we see his faith put to the test and of course we know that that any of us that our faith must be tested to be proven genuine that's that's the lesson of 1 Peter chapter 1 that 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 the testing of our faith is is what uh, proves it to be genuine that refines it 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 determines whether it's the the real deal or not and so the question is is this young man who has been just anointed as king is is he one who who just believes in god or does he believe god for the victory and and i think we we all know how the story ends but we we see here in this this passage and in this setting, and this is really the maybe the first point I want to draw to your attention here tonight. The stakes are incredibly high the The stakes are incredibly high it's it's not It's not hard to see that goliath is a is a pretty fearsome foe, but there's a clear battle line that has been drawn here verse one tells us. The location of, of where this, this battleground is in FS Demim. And, and that literally means the boundary of blood or the boundary of blood drops. There was no plan for a truce between these two groups and, and there never could be. On, on the one side of the valley, there are the, armies of the living god on the other side the armies of idol worshipping philistines and and there was there was an expectation that there would be bloodshed there would be a victor and there would be one who is defeated the question is whose blood is going to be shed and notice what goliath said in verse 9 he said if he is able to uh, fight with me and kill me then we will be your servants but if i prevail against him and kill him then you shall be our servants and serve us in other words the implications are are these that that if if goliath won the battle the showdown the men of Israel and the people of Israel would be servants and would live as slaves to the Philistine. However, if David or whoever came up against Goliath, if he came up and was victorious, um, the, the implication was that the Philistines would live as servants to the people of Israel and so the, the enemy here is reminding them of the high stakes matchup that w- they were facing uh, for their wives, for their children, for their nation. The question is, are they going to be living in freedom? Or are they going to be living in, in bondage? And, and it, it comes down to this one matchup between Goliath and whoever is, going, is willing to go up against them. And and I think it's good for us to be, remember that the stakes are equally as high today. Just just because our enemy isn't flesh and blood, um just because it's it's not flesh and blood, we sometimes miss the sobering implications of the battle we're we're in. You see, when these men of Israel woke up in the morning and they pulled on, on their boots, they would look out across the valley knowing that very sh- uh, very shortly they would be hearing the taunt of the Philistine giant coming out across the valley. As they ate their breakfast, as they put their armor on, they, they knew that they would see this formidable foe across the valley taking his position. They knew that there was a, a fight that needed to be had. There was a battle that they were entering into. I think the problem for many of us as we wake up in the morning, um, even though we're entering into a battle just as real against a, an adversary that is so much more powerful than a Philistine giant, one who is determined to destroy us, he's determined to destroy our, our relationships, our families, our churches, uh, to bring reproach against God's name. Um, too often we forget that we're in the battle. Uh, We we miss the fact that we're in the battle, and and unless we have our minds renewed daily by the word of God, we're going to lose sight of this high-stakes battle we're in. Uh, The the battle for souls that that are perishing without Christ. The the battles for our kids, for our our families, for our, our local testimonies. Um, you might say it was easy for the the, ch- the children of Israel here, the men of Israel, to be reminded of the battle every morning. Um, it's good for us to remember that as we go out into into life, uh, we face a battle, and the the stakes are incredibly high. We notice as we go on in this passage, in verses twelve to nineteen, we find. Um, that David is is sent by his father at a, a very specific time to to seek out his brothers to find out how they're doing to take supplies and then and then come back to report to his father. One of the the things we we see here, one of the little uh, details that's important to notice, verse sixteen says this, and the Philistine drew near. And presented himself forty days, morning and evening. Then Jesse said to his son David, take now for your brothers uh, the loaf of bread and so on. So here we see the Philistine, um, presenting himself for forty days, morning and evening. Now whenever we see the number forty in scripture, it should trigger an important thought. And it's, and it's this, that that somehow God is in it somehow that that God's fingerprints are on this test, on this trial these These are not a people that are abandoned by god the 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 number forty. I don't need to tell you is is a number through the scriptures that is synonymous with divine testing and judgment and we see that again and again whether it's 40 days and 40 nights the the rain falling uh, the children of Israel being in the wilderness for 40 years the the Lord Jesus himself being tempted for 40 days Uh, we read about in Judges 13 how the Lord delivered uh, the people of Israel into the hands of the Philistines for forty years, and so on and so on. Well, here we see that that this Philistine has been coming before the 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 children of Israel, the men of Israel, forty days and forty nights, or forty mornings and forty evenings, and then at at that precise time, verse seventeen, it says, "Then Jesse sent uh, said to his son David." Um, go to your brothers. It's, it's just interesting to see the, the precision of the timing and, and it's a reminder to us. It's a reminder to me of a, another occasion where another father sent out his son to check on his brothers and eventually save the entire family. Of course, we're thinking of Joseph in that case. And, and here we have a father again sending out his son, uh, to check on the well-being of his brethren and ultimately winning the battle and, and bringing victory, uh, to his, his family and to his nation. And of course it's a, a reminder to us as we think of, of the type of Christ. We we think of those words in Galatians, God in the fullness of time sent forth his son, born of a woman born under the law, to redeem uh, those who are under the law. Well, if if we ever go through a circumstance in our own life that seems hopeless and and we don't understand the trial that we're in, the the test that we're in, um it's important to be reminded that that God is is always uh, in control and um we must not despair if we believe in the providence and the sovereignty of God and how he uses these situations and these circumstances as a means of proving and and growing our our faith or the alternative exposing our lack of confidence in God himself I don't know um uh, if it's been the same for you on your side of the border as it has been for us, but it certainly feels like this last year has been a time of of testing um and it has been used of God to expose in many of us uh maybe fears that we didn't know we had, maybe um a, a selfishness that we didn't know we had or a lack of patience that we didn't know we had. All kinds of things um, bubble to the surface when we're when we're faced with circumstances that that we uh, have no control over. Um, we're sitting here. I'm sitting here uh, in the middle of our third lockdown. Um, and uh, and really, I, I think there's an end in sight, but you get to the point where you don't really believe it anymore. Um, but the question is, uh, is God in control? And the answer is yes, he is. Do, do we trust him earlier on in the, in the pandemic? I guess right around a, a year ago now, even a little earlier, um, with both of our nurses, daughters as, as nurses, um, and, and uh, both working on floors that were full of COVID patients, um, especially in those early days when there was a lot of uncertainty and a lot of unknown. Um, to the to the whole thing, to the virus. Um, I, I think if I were to be honest, there there were some some fears, some concerns. Even though um, we knew, uh, of course, we commit them to the Lord. We committed to the to the Lord the day they were born. But um, as you see them go out day by day into the hospital um, to face what was unknown, um, as parents we had to again um just dedicate them to the lord and and trust and trust that the lord was going to um protect them and 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 ultimately um glorify himself through them but the the point being that it's in times of testing where we're confronted with things within that, that we would have never been confronted with any other way and i think all of us can attest to some of that in in recent years well these these men of israel were facing Therefore, for 40 days, um, the Lord was in control. And at just the right time, he sent his man uh, into the battlefield. Well, what do we notice as David arrives on the scene? As we look at the next number of verses, we see David uh, rising early in the morning, um, leaving the sheep with the keeper. He took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. He came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper. He ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming out from the armies of the Philistines. He spoke according to the same words. And so David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. The men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So David arrives on the scene, and and Goliath is just coming out to um, to make his statement of the day again and uh, as happened every day the, the men of israel when they saw the man when they saw goliath they fled from him they were dreadfully afraid they were terrified and and they said to david have you seen this man who has come up surely he's come to defy israel these men were terrified because they recognized they were no match for goliath he was he was overwhelmingly oversized Compared to them. He, he they, they looked at him and said, He is way too big for us. And he was. There was no chance uh, that they they would defeat him in their own strength. I don't know if you ever look at the needs around you, the spiritual needs, and and just shrink at the the overwhelming situation um, around you or in front of you. Um, overwhelmed at the prospect of trying to reach the lost in your neighborhood, you look at your city and you and you think we're so small and so weak. there's so much godlessness around us. It seems the the enemy is getting more and more bold and more arrogant all the time. Um, the evil that seems so far away at one point um is just being pushed into our 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 faces um the education system the government entertainment social media uh it's so easy to be like the men of Israel here and shrink back and say you know what the the battle is is just too great the 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 adversary is just too great the odds are too great but notice david when he arrives on the scene remember he's he's maybe 15 years old but he comes with a confidence in god and this is the this is the the point here where we we see his heart on display he comes he comes and he sees the same thing that the men of israel saw he he saw the same thing he heard the same thing but he responded differently. Notice he wasn't overwhelmed by the size of Goliath because David wasn't comparing Goliath to himself and saying he's way too big for me to handle. Notice what he says in verse 26. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? First of all, he says he's a, he's an uncircumcised Philistine. In other words, he's not under the covenant protection of God. We are. As the, as the people of Israel, the sign of circumcision was a sign of the covenant that God had made with his people. And so this is an uncircumcised Philistine. He's outside of the, the covenant protection of God. David understood that the, the showdown here before them was was not simply between Goliath and themselves. It was a conflict between Goliath and the living God. I like William MacDonald's description of Goliath. He refers to him here as a swaggering brute. Uh, he's, he's one who defies. He blasphemes. He's reproaching. And he's, and he really is, is speaking on behalf of, of all of the forces of evil that are aligned against God. And David knew, David understood that he represented, they represented, they fought under the banner of the living God. Not the idols of the Philistines, not idols of, of wood and, and, and that was carved and, and bowed down to but they served they they fought under they represented the living God And and I wonder does it make a difference to us to know that we serve the living God that does it make a difference to us as we go out and we face the circumstances of our lives whatever they may be that that we are serving the God of David the, this The God of Joshua, the God of Moses and of gideon and of hezekiah and and Jehoshaphat he's our God he's the living god and and just as David describes him as the living god, a a God who is to be feared, a God who is to be honored and respected and worshipped. I think it was Spurgeon who said the fear of God is the death of every other fear. And so the psalmist David would say in Psalm 23, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. In Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though an army encamp against me, my heart Shall not fear, though war may rise against me. In this I will be confident. And So as David arrived on the scene and he's exposed to the same test as his fellow Israelites were. Even though he was young, he wasn't dressed for battle. Uh, he had no experience uh, beyond that, which we'll see in a few verses from now. Uh, he came... He came with a confidence in his God, he believed God, he didn't just believe in the existence of God, but he he believed that God was able um and sufficient for the victory and so these uh we won't take too much time to drop into these verses, but um we notice the the men of Israel they were focused on what the king was offering. The promise of wealth, the king's daughter for a bride, a blessing that would come to his fa- family, his father's house, uh, well, David wasn't motivated by the promise of riches and a wife and all of those perks that were the result of going into battle um, it wasn't It wasn't the reason that he went into battle. His concern was that God's honor was at stake the the glory and the fame of the God of Israel was at stake. This is what, this is what David was so concerned about. And we see that in verse 29, um, as his brother confronts him, Eliab in verse 28, his oldest brother heard when he spoke to the men, Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Well, there was a cause. And, and his, his primary motivation again was not the, the perks of that the rest of the men of Israel were, were concerned about. He was concerned that the enemy of God was bringing reproach Upon the name and the honor of his God, the future of the nation was at stake. the The enemy was boldly and arrogantly defying them, and no one seemed to be responding. Everyone was retreating in fear. Day after day, they were submitting um, to their their fear and 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 running. Their confidence in God was at an all time low. I i find there to be such a parallel to our times in which we're living um as as we think of of the condition of the of the church and in, in i'm speaking in very general terms here um, as a, as we think of what um the masses the world is hearing when they uh, and seeing when they look at the church um what do they see they see more and more accounts of moral failure and hypocrisy and corruption and, and there's high profile individuals that are, that are turning away, just rejecting uh, their faith and so on. And, and it seems like the, there's an all time low in, in the confidence of believers in their God that, uh, so many of us perhaps have grown up and, and we've been part of a generation where most of what we hear about are these things, the, the compromise, the moral failure, the, 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 the defeats and everything else. And, and, and here the, the enemies of God are arrayed in, in formation against God. And it seems there are very few that like David that are that are willing to stand and say wait a minute there's a problem here there's there's a cause the the name the honor the the fame of of God himself of the of the Lord Jesus um is is being um is 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 being reproached and and so David uh comes into the the battlefield with this confidence in his God concerned about the the honor of of his God and and notice um, he doesn't wait for a consensus um, he's willing to be misunderstood and we see that in verses 28 to 30 where his brother is is upset with him and saying you're just here as a kid you're proud uh, I know what's going on in your heart it's interesting he's um, verse 28 he says I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. For you've come down to see the battle. He's claiming to know what's within David's heart. That's, that's kind of an ironic thing, isn't it? Um, God saw his heart and, and said, he's, he's my man. Um, it's interesting as we, as we think of David here, um, we, we don't, we don't see David saying, um, something like this. Come on guys, we can take him. Uh, We don't see David going around and, and trying to, um, rally the troops and and saying let's you know if we get 50 together or if we do a surprise attack or you know anything like that um david david was more alone than he had ever been in his life i i think um it's one type of thing to be alone with without anyone around you david would have known that well as a shepherd but there's another more solitary loneliness when you're in a crowd and you discover that everyone is united against you. And, and you're taking a stand when no one else is. And that's a defining moment. We, we think of Daniel's three friends who stood when everybody else bowed. We think of Elijah at Mount Carmel who, who made that statement when the, when he brought all the people of Israel together. How long will you falter between two opinions? if the lord is god follow him if baal is follow him and it says the people answered him not a word and and elijah eventually fled after that scene and, and said i am i alone am a prophet of of israel um he felt alone well david here he he turned it says in verse 30 from him and said the same thing these people answered him as the first ones did they were all united Against him, no one saw no one saw the things that David saw. No one had the same burden and concern for the cause that David did. And and again, perhaps perhaps you're coming from a situation where you feel very much alone. You you see perhaps coldness or or dullness or or a lack of zeal or or you see um a a a sense of defeat or or you have this growing conviction this burden to to get out into the the battle and you keep hearing well we're not ready yet or you need to be careful or that's not how we've done it before um the reality is um like david um the weakest of us with a confidence in God, can accomplish so much. And, and we need to be those who, um, rather than trying to get others on board with us, uh, we need to be spending time in the Lord's presence and bringing our burdens to him and our cares to him and seeking his direction for us personally before we try to rally the troops and get um, so many others on board with us. Just a couple more points that we want to glean from this portion. Uh, we have the account here where, um, Saul, Saul brings David before him. Saul hears of, of the, the, what David has been saying. And uh, verse 32, David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. When it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. This was not a reckless kind of statement that David was making this confidence that david had in his god did not come out of a vacuum he had he had proven god to be trustworthy and and faithful in private and now he had confidence to go out in public with with that um with that faith in his ordinary mundane work as a shepherd God was preparing him for, for future service. And, and again, this is a window into David's heart. He, he wasn't there, uh, dreaming of, uh, as a shepherd boy. Uh, he wasn't out dreaming of the day he would go out and slay a giant with a sling. He was out, uh, fulfilling what his father had asked him to do, caring for his sheep. Uh, he may have been there, uh, begrudging that role, um, if he had been part of a, a wealthier family um he he they may have had servants to do this kind of work but he is the youngest one was was out there caring for the sheep but as we see he was faithful in that role and he was faithful in those uh, those early days of his life and he learned some important lessons um that the god who had delivered him will deliver again the god who had delivered him from the the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear would deliver him from this Philistine, and so David had a track record of experience behind him. Um, this wasn't his first battle, or this wasn't the first time that he had to trust in his God, in the living God. Um, as as he says here, he was out shepherding his sheep, and suddenly a, a lion sprang out of nowhere, and and he was forced to trust. In his God to, to deliver him from this lion and, and in the same experience with the bear. And, and so too we go through life. um, We may try desperately to avoid situations where we're in, find ourselves in need. None of us like to be dependent. We, we all love to live independently and to be self-sufficient, but God in his wisdom, God in his goodness, Allows circumstances into our life that, that cause us to be, um, forced out of that place of, of self-sufficiency and independence. And we're, we're forced to trust God in the moment. And, and it's in those moments when we, uh, when we are in a place of need and we're forced to turn from ourselves and our own sufficiency to his sufficiency, we discover him to be faithful. And we discover him to be trustworthy and and our faith in him grows, and we discover that his promises are true and and little by little, as we go through these experiences time and time again, we we develop this track record of experience and and you might say God expands our assignment in the battle, so to speak, and gives us greater opportunities um, to serve him. And so the point here is that David's confidence in God wasn't reckless. His statement in verse 32 to Saul, uh, your servant will go out and fight with a Philistine, it it didn't come out of a vacuum. It was based on a, a history that he had, uh, a relationship that he had with his God as he, as he grew into, uh, as the roots of his faith, you might say, grew deeper, circumstance, experience by experience. And uh, when it came to this point in time, when Goliath was in front of him, he recognized that this was just yet another opportunity for God to demonstrate his faithfulness. And so I know I'm running out of time here. Um, just want to, just want to give you the last two points and I won't give any details to them. Notice, um, notice what, what Saul says. In verse 37, after David makes his statement that that the Lord would deliver him, Saul said, go and the Lord be with you. And then notice the next verse. So Saul clothed David with his armor, gave him a bronze helmet on his head. And it's almost like um, Saul is claiming to believe God, that he has confidence in God. At least he used the right lingo, go and the Lord be with you. But then but then he says, Just in case the Lord isn't enough, um here, let me give you all my armor um so you can go out into battle. David didn't compromise. Um David's confidence was in his God and his God alone. Um he said in verse forty five to Goliath, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Um uh, David's faith was in all that God is and, and all that God says. And so he stood before Goliath saying, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. That wasn't just a label. He was so closely identified with his God that he could say, I'm here representing his authority, his power, his honor and his purpose. And so the, that point simply noticing here, David, um, was not compromising. Um, his confidence was not uh, in any kind of fleshly um, or natural kind of resources. His confidence was in god alone and then finally he noted uh, he noticed and understood that when he went into battle that that this that this confidence and the outcome of this battle had far reaching implications. it would speak volumes both to a watching world and it would also speak volumes to his own brethren, to his own people. He said in verse 46, um, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike and take your head from you. This day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. You know, as believers, if we're living defeated lives, we have nothing to say to a watching world. If, if we are living under defeat, if we are in an ongoing cycle of defeat and retreat in our own private lives, um, we, we have nothing to say um, to a, a watching world. Um, and, and really uh, we bring Um, the name of our God under reproach, just as these men of Israel did as they retreated from the battle. Well, David understood that, that his confidence in God would be a statement to a watching world. Here we are 3,000 years later, talking about a teenage shepherd boy who had confidence in his God. That should say something. He believed that the power of God was sufficient. To deliver the enemy into his hands, but then notice he also understood that um, this this battle and the outcome of it would speak volumes. It would be a real witness to his fellow his fellow Israelites. Verse forty seven. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands, David seemed to understand that there was a cowardice that was flowing through the ranks of his fellow Israelites. It fl- flowed right from the top, right from Saul and down through the military leaders, right down to the ordinary rank and file they were They were all terrified of the enemy and David understood that this was an opportunity to display and to send a message to his own people that that God doesn't need military experience. He can use anyone, that the battle is the Lord's. And so as we think of the life of David and as we as we see him here on the battlefield, we really do get a window into his heart, don't we? Uh, he understood the stakes were incredibly high, um, that the test here was not a was not a sign of God's abandonment, but it was a an opportunity to 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 showcase the power of the living god He understood that the the battle was was not between um flesh and blood, so to speak. He understood that the battle was a battle that belonged to the lord this was there 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 was higher stakes here he was concerned about the honor. And the the name of his God, and so as we as we just walk away from this account of David and we see a window into his heart, I I trust that we just recognize that these opportunities for testing are are not something that we ought to be um, fearful of. Um, God has his hand on the thermostat; he always does. He's trustworthy. And'll we'll always use these circumstances, these tests that come about in our lives, even as they did in this valley of Allah, um, to showcase um, his greatness, his power, his ability and uh, and so um yeah, let's be encouraged as we go forward ourselves with a a confidence in god, not not just confident in God uh, or believing rather in God. But believing God uh, for the victory, the victory over um, the power of sin in our lives, uh, even as we, as we go forward. So let's just close in prayer. Our father, we bow in your presence tonight and we are grateful for the life of David and, and uh, there's so many windows into his heart, into his life. And this is just one of those settings those events where we see his heart uh, on display he trusted you Uh, his confidence was in you we pray that we would uh, be um, recognizing those occasions in our life where um, we are forced to trust you in in ways that we never have before help us to see these as opportunities to grow help us to recognize that you are faithful and uh, that your, your hand is on the thermostat, that you will not uh, allow us to face things that uh, you don't give us the resources to face and to, and to come through. And so we're just thankful that we can trust you, uh, the living God, the same God of David who we've considered here tonight. And so we pray all of this giving thanks in our savior's name. Amen.